that kind of nouveau sourdough, nouveau traditional European bread, it's huge. I think it's taking off big time here. And I, and I think that, you know, as, as again, it, you know, all, I think there's a big boom underway. I think there's a lot of amazing little bakeries that are starting up all over Sydney, all over Melbourne, even in these, you know, as people moving to, you know, out into the country. And I, and I just think we're on this the cusp the of a really big, podcast. exciting boom. I'm Anthony Huckstep. 15 years ago, the notion of sourdough bread was foreign to most Australians. It's now part of everyday life. Quality bread is something we value down under, and during the pandemic, the small artisan producers shined as consumers sought quality baked goods to keep them sated. Although many prospered, what impact has the pandemic had? And what trajectory are the small artisan bakers on moving forward? Simon Cancio is the owner of Brickfields in Chippendale, Sydney. Simon, how are you going? Good, thanks. How are you, Anthony? I'm good. Uh, it's been a hell of a year and bakeries have done really well during the pandemic, but it's been incredibly challenging in the same breath. Um, what's it been like for Brickfields in 2020? Uh, yeah, probably more of the same, uh, I guess. Um, just a lot of learning. Um, yeah, I mean, running a business and, and, and um, you know, it has its challenges, but then having that curveball... Um, I guess took it to another level, but we we were touch wood, you know, very lucky to to have survived and 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 actually learnt a lot through that process. Um, you know, it's forever changed for us, and I guess we were kind of lucky that we we kind of have a fifty fifty split, where half of our business is retail and half of it was you could kind of broadly say um, food service. Um, just to keep it simple, but, um, yeah, like wholesale. So obviously all of that, the way that happened changed overnight. You mentioned that there's been a lot of learnings and you forever changed. How much did your offering change as a result of what's happened this year? Uh, gosh, I, I think it was more how it was bought. I think that, that, Obviously, um, you know, there's this bit of bakeries like like ours or, or probably even bigger bakeries, more industrial bakeries would be 24-7. They're constantly going. You know, even when the bakery itself is kind of tucked into bed at the end of production, there's, there's obviously like packing and logistics, all of these other things that kind of happen uh, until the, you know, I guess the next daily cycle kicks off at, every bakery is different i guess but whenever that that happens so so it's almost like there's no downtime so um you know the whole process just kind of got turned on its head and 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 changed it was less food service more retail um you know we're doing markets yeah, all over sydney mainly in the inner west actually a little bit in the eastern suburbs as well um yeah and and, and obviously that became our bread and butter over those, you know, kind of um, more uh, uh, pronounced lockdown period that that you know initial two months or whatever uh, that period was, yeah. So and actually, because I kind of work seven days a week, it's funny because I lived in a bit of a bread bubble. I was so busy inside the bakery and you know trying to support all these changes with all of our amazing 
uh, crew and that I actually sometimes didn't even realize that there was this pandemic going on, you know. It's like every now and then I'd jump in the van to go somewhere and I'd be like, wow, there's no one in the streets. Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, and, yeah, basically, uh, you know, a bit of a culture shock, you know. You mentioned that there was a big switch to retail or a heavier switch to retail and less food service. What What is the situation now with Brickfields? Has that uh, ratio changed at all with restaurants opening up? Uh, I guess we – I mean, Brickfields is still very, very small bakery. I, I mean – I would still consider Sonoma to be a small bakery, but some artisan bakeries would have a, probably a different view on that or, or, or Brasserie Bread even. Um, but, yeah, basically, you know, because uh, we're a small bakery, I guess it was just a, a little a little bit easier um, to make those changes, uh, yeah, you know, and to kind of find a rhythm that works for production and, and customers um, but basically, you know, we noticed that there was a real downturn, obviously, in the city because no, uh, none of the office towers that, you know, power those, you know, uh, cafes and restaurants in the city were, were, were trading. So we were lucky that we were kind of, you know, we've been supported for the last 10 years by some great little kind of local um, cafes, you know, in the inner west and uh, parts of the eastern suburbs and, and um you know, they were actually quite busy because they they were the ones that kind of kept, I guess, the food and beverage industry going over that, that uncertain time. Up until 15 years ago, Australians grew up with white sliced bread and there wasn't much that was better than that, but it's changed so dramatically. Um, how, how have you seen the change and how important is our bakery industry now um, given what it was 20 years ago? Well, actually, for me, it changed because I the first time I actually saw baked bread was actually when I started my apprenticeship at Sean's Panorama in 1995. And it was just like my whole – I had no idea how bread was made. And, and I, I mean, I was quite young and, you know, really excited about learning about food and, and – um, and, you know, I had a great opportunity and a great start in the industry there in that kitchen. Um, uh, and I guess seeing the doughs mixed and seeing it, you know, go through its kind of fermentation and then baking it, um, you know, finishing the loaves and cutting the loaves and baking, it just was mind-bending. Like it was just I was so excited and so proud to be involved with that process and I guess that that hasn't waned since then, but over the years that's changed because, you know, for example, um, when the guy, when Paul and Dave opened up Burke Street Bakery, I just happened to be walking down Burke Street and I saw this amazing shop front with all these pastries and breads and just like you know, like your eyes were tasting everything and just it just knocked you for six, you know, and I guess just seeing that and going in and, and, and asking them if I could do some work experience um, and then ending up getting a job there through that training process, seeing how bread is baked in a deck oven and, you know, like a, a proper bulk fermentation with, you know, folding and, and, and you know, mixing in, an, in, in, a, in a small, you know, mixer, like an 80 kilo mixer, not a Hobart mixer, like all of these changes it just really, that was another, almost like a second innings um, of, you know, uh, being excited about baking. And 
I guess ever since that period, which was probably, I'm guessing it's probably about 14 years ago, I've been seduced by, by, by f- not just food and beverage, like obviously not just bread but, and pastry, but also food and beverage, how that feeds into it. So that's, that's the flame, my friend. And I, I'm sure everyone, <laughs> COVID's kind of uh, lit that in, in a big way, hasn't it? With social media and all these things now, people seeing baking and it's not just these weird bakers that, that go to work at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know? Well, sourdough really became the, the thing during lockdown, didn't it? Did you feel pressures for your own business given everyone was making sourdough at home? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. We, we actually, because there was so much uncertainty around the first uh, speech that's, that the Prime Minister was making, it was kind of like they were seasoning us for this shutdown. And then on top of that, you could see on the news, like all these different places were going into lockdown and, you know, there was just no one really knew what, what was going to happen. And as that was happening, the businesses were closing down and, and we had three weeks of massive revenue declines. But then we went into Easter and my gosh, that that saved us, you know. Easter is what saves every bakery. It's when we all do a, a roaring trade and we set up the whole year around Easter. It's um it's really important for every artisan bakery in in probably I guess in Australia, you know, because it's the hot cross bun is a celebrated, um, you know, it's a it's a cultural uh, uh, event, you know, in some ways we're tied in with Easter. I know you mentioned that you are a small artisan baker. I mean, how important is that sort of period of time? How many hot cross buns, you know, does it take to save a business for a year? Oh, gosh, it really depends. It really depends on so many factors. But um I guess we're, we've, we've just kind of two and a half years ago, we moved into a new site in Marrickville um, and we've been learning how to use that site. Uh, I'd say three years in, we're probably going to understand it, but we're able to kind of learn who the producers are um, and, and, and then we can purchase, you know, purchasing on pallets and learning how to do all these things. And I think we're, we're very fortunate that we're, we've been gifted that opportunity and, I think that obviously for a smaller bakery where you're buying in boxes and buying in things every day, it's probably a little bit harder to do that but um, because it's just the costs associated with the logistics in and around that. So, yeah, we, I guess we were kind of lucky to have, um, you know, Easter coincide with, um, uh, you know, uh, COVID and, you know, this was – we were two years into kind of learning and, and that really kind of um, – forced us to kind of go into retail earlier than we anticipated. So I'm not sure if you saw, Anthony, we had a, 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 um, a COVID Citron in our loading bay because we thought that the whole economy was going to get shut down. And we thought that, uh, you know, we need to get prepared because we're a bakery and we can stay open and we'll use the Citron in our loading bay to distribute bed, bread to the people. Um, yeah, so that, that kind of all tied in together. So, you know, having the supplies... Um, and, uh, you know, being ready to bake, having the space. You mentioned Sean's Panorama and your apprenticeship there. How, how did you first get interested in food and why did you head towards the hospitality sector? Oh, that's a good question. Well, actually, my parents were in food and beverage. They had a pizza joint in the 70s and the 80s on Taylor Square. 
Uh, and then my mum's Lebanese, so the food we ate was just obviously like home style um, migrant food. It was unbelievable. Um, and then on top of that, our whole family on my mum's side, my dad was Spanish, but his family wasn't here. But, um, you know, he was obviously working in food and beverage there. They had a pizza joint that was open till three in the morning, by the way, three or four in the morning on Taylor Square called Ellie's Pizza. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we saw a lot of interesting things growing up there in Taylor Square and Bondi. And then, uh, yeah, basically going to Bankstown to see the family. Um, you know, uh, everything was very traditional, um, you know, and there was a very strong, you know, this is how you make tabbouleh. <laughs> This is how you make luchia. This is how you make, you know, baba uh, ganouj. Uh, Everyone had their, uh, you know, their, it was all done and signed off by the, you know, by the, the elders, the family elders, basically. So, yeah, so growing up in there, that, that was definitely a big part of it. You just mentioned how strict the recipes are and people, this is how you do tabbouleh. But with pastry, the recipes really need to be quite specific and, and spot on as well. Um what, what does it take to make great baked goods? What are some of the challenges involved? Oh, I think, you know, um, first and foremost, for, for, for me, I can't speak for other people, but I, I, I like to reference pictures and, I, and, I, and then the pictures kind of, you know, that you see on the internet kind of tell you like, oh, I, I like this finish, a specific finish. And then I tend to, to do my research around that finish and and then the rest is just a lot of ex experimentation and developing your own standards and you know working with your team and trying to get a everyone on the same page mm -hmm. um i think that's kind of probably the easiest way to explain it <laughs> try not to drive your colleagues uh too too insane uh chasing that that finish though that's the that's my motto <laughs> Brickfields arrived um, around just a little over a decade ago. Can you tell us how that all started? Ah, actually, yeah. Well, uh, basically, I set up a, 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 a venue with called Frieda's in Sydney, and it was kind of based with Ibrahim uh, Kassif and um, another guy, Marty. Uh, who else? There was there was a few people involved, but it was basically the premise was good food, good music, tying it in together. Um, you know, and and basically, that I guess my role kind of played out in that in that business, and I kind of had the opportunity to kind of go into with Paul, uh, who had Mecca Coffee just around the corner where Brickfields is today. So that site was originally where Mecca roasted their coffee, and they had their wow, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how that happened. Paul was coming in; he supplied us with coffee at Frieda's. And we were we were drinking espresso martinis, and and we 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 probably got a little bit too excited, and ended up setting a bakery up together around the corner, and and you know that's the rest is history, as they say. Well, it's a really small site, and it also operated as a, a cafe and a lunchtime sort of spot. Can you tell us what what the offering um, was in the early days and the challenges of working in that small site? Sure. Oh, look, you know, we bit off more than we could chew. Uh, you know, it's, it was, it was really challenging because we wanted to deliver something unique and interesting and where we were producing the jams and, you know, making the bread and, and, um, you know, changing the cakes daily, um, which, you know, uh, was probably a little bit too ambitious on our part. Um, 
yeah, we had we were lucky. We were very successful. We had a, you know people in the area was supporting us. Um, people in the industry were supporting us. I guess food and beverage broadly. Um, and then you know, uh, and then we realised that that you know we don't have enough space to put a pallet of flour. And you know, ha- ha- it's quite funny. Like you would think, how would someone? Uh, start up a bakery and they don't think, oh, gee, where am I going to put the flour? <laughs> so we were storing flour at Mecca and delivering daily. Wow. And, uh, you know, this is just one of the examples of how, you know, short-sighted, you, I guess, you can, uh, when you go to start your your ventures and your, your business, and in this case, you know, we, we thought we had everything mapped out. We had good workflow. We had stainless steel. We had the Prover Retarder and a nice deck oven. But we just didn't even think about, you know, the most important ingredient, flour. <laughs> it's like, yeah, geez. So, yeah, so now, you know, it's been a big, long journey to kind of learn all these different things, you know. And and um, and that's, I guess, feeding into what I was saying earlier about learning how to use the building here and trying to learn how what equipment we need and, you know, how we're going to deliver the finish we want to deliver, Um as we kind of open up our shop front here in, in Marrickville, which I would say would be, it would actually be opening the shop front here would be what we intended to do in Chippendale, but more sustainable. You mentioned a few other artisan producers like Burke Street Bakery and Sonoma and Burke Street Bakery is known for its sausage rolls and Sonoma's sourdough. Is there, is there a signature sort of um, baked good that really epitomizes what you do at Brickfields? I I actually because I'm very influenced by these bakeries by Brasserie and Sonoma and and Burke Street and I and I think that you know for me their Miche loaf was it's it was one of the at Sonoma was one of the most stunning loaves like it was just like this beautiful loaf and I remember trying to make a Miche myself and and when I was making it I wasn't getting the same finish. And I realized that it was a different style of loaf and that it was over the years it's taken me to learn that their meche isn't necessarily a traditional meche because, because um, we've, been, we've been actually, you know, experimenting with the traditional recipe, but the finish was coming out really, really different. It was a heavier loaf. It was a whole wheat loaf. So I think I've learned to love it. Not just Sonoma's meche, but also the traditional meche, and 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 I think that the one that we're doing is 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 obviously it's just a different take. It's another baker's take, and which is a beautiful thing, I think, in a in a baking industry. And uh, I I really cherish our our uh, uh, meche and or whole wheat. We call it a whole wheat loaf because obviously just as a point of difference. But you know, so, Sonoma. Sonoma's Miche is actually the the reason why we produce that 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 loaf today. It was like a yeah. So that's one example. Pies and sausage rolls. Uh, well, I love Burke Street Bakery uh, pies and sausage rolls, but for us, we're going to focus on because I'm a chef because of the uh, the Sean's Panorama side of things. I'm doing the apprenticeship in the as a chef. I really, at some point, want to incorporate the savoury with fresh bread. So that's why we've come into this building. Yeah, we've earmarked. You know, there's probably about 250 square meters where we're going to make our sandwich fillings. It's going to be mostly vegetarian. There will be some protein. Um, we're looking. We've got a rotisserie. Um, yeah, and we're just. I mean, it's a lot. It's a. It's a bit off. It's. We're talking about over the next year or so. 
Um, but that's that's actually what we wanted to do uh, with linking up the pastry section with the pastry counter again. Oh, it's, it's going to be so exciting. I can't wait to do it. <laughs> There's been a real focus in the last couple of years on vegan and vegetarian food. Why, why the emphasis for you on more vegetarian type sandwiches? Look, for me, it's, I, I think there's more flexibility with flavor, you know. There's more flexibility with color. I mean, you look at vegetables, especially in summer, and you've got air, the whole spectrum of color, you know. Uh, you're adding the fats. You're adding the acids, the vinegars, the, you know, and I think that that's, it's almost like it's more of a blank canvas, you know. Um, and, and, and that's why I think, you know, we pair protein with with vegetables you know or, or cereal grain how do you see the australian bakering bakery industry at the moment it's changed so dramatically in the last 15 years but there's more developed um, bakery industries in other countries how do you see australia's place in regard to that wow really good question yeah i've thought about that um over the years and i think that i actually think that australia is up there it's definitely it's it's like coffee. I think you know that kind of nouveau sourdough, nouveau traditional European bread. It's huge. I think it's taking off big time here. And I and I think that you know as as again it you know all I think there's a big boom underway. I think there's a lot of amazing little bakeries that are starting up all over Sydney, all over Melbourne, even in these you know as you see they're talking about it in the news. People moving to to um you know out into the country you know there's people starting up bakeries in orange in 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 all over the place and i and i just think we're on the cusp of a really big exciting boom and i look i don't think it's going to be 100% of the market you know it's probably going to be similar to the to the coffee or the 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 booze industry where it's probably 10 or 20% of the market um you know that's consumed the bread that's consumed will go through those businesses. And I think that, you know, that's a really, really exciting, um, you know, thing that's underway. It's intergenerational. It's, it's probably going to take 50 years. We, I probably won't even be alive to see the fruits of that. But definitely, um, you know, we, we've got Brasserie and Sonoma and, and um, you know, there's a few other bakers that were – I think is it Philip Searle was I'd never got to eat his bread, but I heard that he was famous in starting up Infinity, uh, and then what was the other one in Balmain? Uh, oh, I've forgotten. It's it's it was another one in the eighties, especially when I was a kid. They were saying this place was very famous for for baguettes and and sourdough. Um, oh, it's still open today. Hux, you, you you can't you can't help me out with this one. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to get the research team onto it and and find <laughs> this place. It sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, basically, I think I think now there's a, there's going to be a lot of small bakeries. I think I think growers will link up with the with the the bakers. I think there's already a bit of a movement. I think milling will will change as well. I think a lot there'll be hopefully some more smaller millers. Um, you know, coming in and 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 partnerships. The agricultural side is linking up with the with the front of house, so to speak. So yeah, so it's it's a it's a really exciting time, and it's 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 early days, very very early days. You mentioned that you've been so busy that you almost couldn't didn't notice that a pandemic was on. What's it been like for you 
this year dealing with the the big changes, but also being so busy when many people uh, were not. Uh, I guess that I guess um, I guess just feeling fortunate that 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 we we managed to keep everything going. Um, yeah, it's just I mean I could never have you just I could never imagine that. I mean it's just um, still un, unbelievable, um, and I mean it's still playing out. It's going to be playing out for a long time. So, but yeah, we, 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 we're very lucky. We, we live in a bubble here at Brickfields, you know, in that sense. I think it's a, you know, uh, I guess we've had to kind of learn how to do, be COVID safe and all of these things. That's, that's probably the biggest thing that's affected us. You know, the sanitizing, the, 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 um, the laws for serving people, um, you know, and, and, you know, touch wood where we're not, you're not seeing what's going on overseas happening here. You know, we're very fortunate. Uh, we often hear stories of bakers having to get up at two or three in the morning and, um, but they finish by three in the afternoon. What's, what's an average day for you like um, with still, so, still a small company that's growing, um, but it's very hands-on? Oh, well, at the moment, we've kind of bit, bitten the bullet and we do a night bake. Uh, so basically we're producing from, say, 5 a.m. to, and then, you know, the last loaves are coming out by 10, a, 10 p.m. So I, I'm actually in the process of building our prover. So what we want to do is we want to carry over bread and go back to what we used to do, which was baking fresh for the markets and the shop, like literally just out of the oven, not too dissimilar to say what, yeah, what Iggy's bread's doing in Bronte. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, uh, and what we did in the start actually in Chippendale, that's, that's what really got the, you know, um, I guess got our business going was having that fresh bake and, you know, there's nothing more enchanting than, you know, having someone give you a loaf. And I think the one sentence I kept hearing over and over again was, oh, it's still warm. <laughs> oh, it's still warm. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that's it. What, what do you think it is about bread and also like quality bread that, has captured people's imagination, particularly this year? Oh, I mean, you know, for us, we deal with it every day. So it's like a taboo. Um, but I can see, I mean, I still remember when I was enchanted by, you know, as I said, like when we first, we were baking out um, the bread at Sean's, um, you know, it just, just, I mean, you know, the whole process and the, the, the excitement and the, un, I guess it's the unknown and, 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 um, you know, having a clear idea, like, like I said, I was very seduced by those pictures or by the, you know, by seeing all these other amazing bakeries produce this incredible bread, you know, over the years, it's just, and then you using it, uh, you know, eating it and enjoying it. It's just as a staple is just, you know, it's the cherry on the, on the, uh, on the top, I guess. Mish is a, a loaf that not everyone has tried, and it's a and it is a little bit different, but it's really a hallmark of what you do. So I can't let you go without you telling us, like, what what do you put on Mish bread? What's your go to? Good question. Actually, well, 
We actually just got around to organizing. We, I guess it's more a, a Miche version, like a food service version. So we're doing like a, almost like a Batard version of it for, for wholesale uh, customers to make a, um, a sandwich with. And one thing we noticed was we tried all these different slashes on the, on the, but we, because it's a wetter dough, we, it wasn't quite holding up and getting a nice profile for a sandwich. So we ended up deciding to cut it uh, as a as the same way as we cut our white loaves, like just like a batard cut straight down from point to point, right wow. from the top point to the bottom point. But you need to have a point of difference between the say the the white sourdough and the mish food service loaf. So what we've done is we've just roll as we shape it, we roll it on a damp cloth and then roll it in oats and then put it into the the banneton, the basket to do its final proof. And then so we're still able to do the same slash that we do on the white to get a better profile on on the on the loaf. So so yeah, so that's something that's I guess kind of happened just I would say in the last couple of two months. Um, uh, you know, we've just notified our wholesale customers. Um, and then on top of that, we've, you know, we've just gone through this learning process of how to go from, you know, really solid, like having our, like a nice, uh, cob, you know, the classic round mesh, but how to transfer that into a food service life. It's still, that journey is still going, you know, like, uh, everyone in the, in the team, cause it's seven days, 24 seven, it's very hard to implement that standard. So when you have these ideas and you go to implement them, they take months to kind of play out and to, you know, it's like water, it's just got to find its way and everyone's got to build their confidence with handling and with, um, you know, across the team, I guess. You've had some real successes this year in a year that's incredibly challenging. Do you have some advice for other operators out there on, on, ways to move forward and find successes in adversity? Ooh. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I can only, I, I don't know if I've got advice, but I can only say that it's not easy uh, being, uh, I guess, the person that the boss, I guess, in some ways, but then making the biggest mistakes in front of your colleagues. I guess, you know, pointing that out and making sure that everyone understands that you're a human being at the end of, day, of the day is probably the best way because, um, yeah, it's true. Actually, the boss has the most to learn. The boss has to listen to the people around and the boss has to make critical decisions around that. And, and, and you know, there's no such thing as the right decision all the time. I mean, if you're hitting 80%, 70%, then I take my hat off to you and let me walk in your footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly walk in your footsteps or come and get a job and be the CEO of Brickfields. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Simon, that's actually some brilliant advice. Um, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today. Um, good luck with the with the Marrickville project next year. It sounds amazing. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity, Anthony. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>